I want you to take your Bibles today, please, and turn it to the book of Ruth. Our message today is going to be a little different as far as the presentation is concerned. We're not going to give you main points and all of those types of a thing. We're going to walk through, um, well, we're going to run through Ruth, through the book of Ruth. This is a fascinating little book. It reminds us of the fact that women played a vital role in the redemption story that focuses on the humanity of Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's amazing to go through Scripture to see the importance of women in the line of Jesus Christ. In fact, we believe that that's one of the purpose for the writing of this book. To demonstrate the fact that Ruth had an important place in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it was written, I believe, to encourage the Jewish people of this time to accept David. David as an individual who was in the line of Jesus Christ as well. I think that's the underlining purpose for this book, to encourage people to accept David as a member of the family of the Messiah, because that wasn't an easy thing. This is a book of choices, divine choices and human choices. But one of the mysterious, fascinating things is that even when the humans are making the choices, you see the guiding, the sovereign, superintending wisdom of God behind the decisions. God is all through this book, but he's behind the scenes. And we're going to see that as we go through this book today. I believe that the book, in keeping with most of the uh, Bible scholars, the book was written by Samuel, some believe that it was written by Nathan, but the weight of evidence seems to be the prophet Samuel himself. And probably is written about 100 or maybe 750 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the book that is, re that is read every year on an annual basis during the Feast of Pentecost. It was a time that focused on the harvest and God's giving fruit. To the people of God. This is a tremendous book. And so we're going to run through Ruth, trusting that as we do so, we'll have nuggets of truth all the way through these four chapters that'll bless you, that'll challenge you, that'll encourage you, but most of all, cause you to come to accept the fact that God is in control of everything that we do and all of the circumstances of life. So let me give you a little introduction. Uh, to this. This is, this is actually is an introduction to a movie that's coming up shortly, but it fits in so perfectly with my introduction, I didn't have to write it. So now you can see it.
I guess that's where we need to stop. <laughs> we will stop there. But one of the challenges you'll receive there, one of the wonderful truth is the emphasis on conversion. That's one. And also the emphasis on how God leads people even when they sin to come back home. That's where repentance comes in. Beautiful truths here that we'll see as we go along. But take your Bibles then and follow along with me as we read you this passage. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. This gives us the historical background, the context for this story, and is important because in the background there's darkness, there's corruption, there's immorality, there's rebellion. It's in the time of the judges. Now, look at the last verse of the book of Judges. If your Bible is open, all you probably got to do is glance down to the left. Verse 25, chapter 21 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the background. That's the days of the judges when they governed. This is when time in Israel was rebelling against God, and then God would judge, judge them, and they would repent, and God would restore them, and then they would rebel again, and God would judge them, and they would repent, and it's just a cycle going on and on. That's the background here. The judge who was probably in the time, ruling at the time that Ruth was written was probably Gideon. He was one of the good guys, at least on the surface. But if you read the book of Judges, you'll see he had 70 kids. He had a harem of almost as big as Solomon's. That's the kind of background we see here. And just reading through the book of Judges and to be exposed to all of the corruption and the sin and the immorality, you get some idea of what this story is all about and why certain things came about. It came about in the days when the Judges governed that there was a famine in the land. A famine. Now famines do not just happen, especially when you read the scriptures. Famine could come about as a result of war. In fact, that's one reason why a lot of people are suffering in the world today. In some parts of the world. Because of war. Politics. The food is there. But the politicians keep it away from the people. Or, on the other hand, the war is so savage, the land is destroyed and crops cannot grow. In other words, famine comes as a result of war. Famine sometimes comes as a result of God's judgment. And sometimes, in fact, the war and the famine goes hand in hand as a result of the judgment of God. You remember the time of Elijah? God sent a famine, a drought. Isn't that right? God did it. In fact, this tremendous statement that we read in 2 Chronicles that people like to quote so often, but of my people who are called by my name. You remember this? You know that, doesn't Don't you? We quote that today, but in context, you know where it is? It is saying this. If you sin and I bring a drought on your land because of your sin and there is no crop and everything and you repent and you come to this temple that has been dedicated, I will hear your prayer if you do these things. It's in the context of returning to God 
after being judged by God for sin. So when you see this here, you have this seed in this context here. Here is this family facing a famine in the land at this particular time. Notice what it says. A certain man. No name yet. It will name later. But a certain man. See, God is choosing individuals through whom he works. He works out his plan. And it could be anyone. This isn't a big politician. This isn't a rich man. This isn't a famous man. He isn't even named yet a certain man. But this certain man made a decision that put into motion the plan of God that would result in the, murder of the, in the birth of the Messiah. And all he is called is a certain man. That's what you and I are. A certain man, a certain woman. But God could pick you, God could choose you right now to begin to plan, put you in a plan that he has devised to touch the world. God is sovereign. And God uses whom he desires to work out his will. That's what we see here. None of us are insignificant in the sight of God. When it comes to being used for his glory. A certain man of Bethlehem, the house of bread. The house of bread. Isn't that a, sort of an ironic thing? The house of bread in the midst of famine. A land facing famine. A certain man of Bethlehem of Judah, because there's another place called Judah, I'm called Bethlehem in another section. That's why they said of Judah here to differentiate it. He went to sojourn in the land of Moab. The word sojourn is the idea of a temporary resident. That's where the word actually has a temporary resident. An alien resident. His plan was only to go there for a short while. Do you realize that as a believer, that's what you and I are? An alien? In this world? Do you realize that? That's why when you go to the book of Hebrews, he tells us, hey, watch the kind of homes you build. Because there's coming a time when you're going to leave that home. Watch out. We should build temporary homes. Because our permanent home is in the land that has been designed and built by a builder who's God. This man went into this land. For a short time. But you're going to see the things that happen. That he stayed there longer than he should. That's what happens to believers. We become attached to the things of this world. And we don't want to leave. Our minds are not fixed on heavenly things. Only on earthly things. You'll find out that was one of the problems with this family. Notice now, a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab. Where? 
Moab. Now you talk about decisions. Here is a man going from the house of bread into Moab. Do you know the origins of Moab? Do you remember the story of Noah? No, not Noah. Lot? Lot? Escaping Sodom and Gomorrah? Hiding in the cave and his daughter said, hey, look, we can never get husbands. So we're going to cause our father to become drunk and we're going to have relationship with him so we could have children. That's the story. That's an awful story, isn't it? But it's a story that God included in the Bible. That was an incestuous racially. Really, that's where the people of Moab came from. Not only that, you remember when the children of Israel was getting out of Egypt and trying to go to Canaan? And they had to go across certain countries. But when they come to Moab, you know what Moab, the Moabites said? You don't come into this country. We ain't going to give you no water. We ain't going to give you no help. Well, you cannot do it. Do you know who the Moabites were? They're the ones who kept Israel in bondage for 18 years during the times of the judges. And yet this man leaves the house of bread to go to Moab with his children and his wife. Now anybody looking at that, when you make decisions, you pros and cons. Nobody would say Moab would be a place for a man to go. Especially to leave the house of bread, even though things were tough. You say, so you have a picture here of an individual, a family, a Jewish family, who's supposed to be the people of God, leaving the house of God or the house of bread because things are a little tough. No faith in the God to supply. Little pressure comes. And so he makes the wrong decision. Many of us do that today. When the pressure comes, we take our eyes of God and we put it on the world and what it could provide. That's what he did. That's the choice. Now we look at it and we say, that was a poor choice. But you know something? God works that choice out for his glory. We'll see that as we go along. With his wife and his two sons. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. Do you know what Elimelech means? God is king. God is my king. Now, isn't that something in light of the, what it says in Judges 21-25? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone, everyone did what is right in his own eyes. Now, here's a man who is named that God is my king. Making his own decisions without reference to his king. And the name of his wife, Naomi. Pleasant, delightful, joy. That's her name. And the names of the two sons were Malon. That means sickly. And Kilion or Chilion as some people call him. Pining. One who's always grouchy. Pining. The other one is sickly. These are very significant in the context. This is the people now. You have a woman whose name is Pleasant. You have a child who is sickly and one who is always whining. And you have a man who says, God is my king. But he's making his own decisions. What am I saying here? 
lot of us live differently from what we say we believe. We're Christians, yes, so I make decisions that honor God. That is, until things get tough. Then I can make decisions that pleases and honor me. Now they entered the land of Moab. Notice what the text says, and remained there. See, he's looking ahead now. They weren't supposed to remain there. They were supposed to be like you when you go to Miami or go to the States. You weren't supposed to stay there on that visa that you have. I'm not speaking of resident aliens and all that. And I'm talking about Bahamian citizens. You're supposed to come back. And what is it? Six months, whatever it is. That's what these were supposed to do, but they overstayed their time. And you'll see some awful results. The same way you're going to have some results if you stayed over when you were supposed to up. Same thing here. Verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. That's all it says. He died. No indication that he made any preparations for his death, for his family. Notice what it says. And she was left with her two sons. In other words, that's all she had. It seems that either Elimelech was not smart enough, wise enough, or he just didn't have any. But he didn't leave anything for his family. He didn't prepare for his death. What about your fathers? Have you prepared for your death? To care for your family? That's some of the challenges we see from these everyday events. So Naomi now is a widower, widow, but she has two sons. If she were living in the time of Timothy and Paul, she would not fit into the description of a widow indeed, because she had children who supposed to be able to take care of her. So she wasn't completely desolate yet or destitute. But now let's move on. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. Now really, they weren't supposed to do that. One of the things that God had instilled within his people, well, will you not suppose the marry pagans? It wasn't because they weren't humans or because they weren't good. No, no, no. Because God was looking for a pure line. That's, that's what he said. Remember in Hagia, one of the reasons, in Malachi, one of the reasons when he talks about why uh, men and women should not divorce and all that, why? Because he was seeking what? A godly seed. It has the idea, what we would say today, Christians marrying Christians. It has nothing to do with your ethnic background. It has to do with your spiritual background. The, one of the reasons, the main reasons for that law was because those who don't worship the true God will tend to lead the husbands especially 
into paganism to worship other gods. That was the primary thing. You would lead your husband or your wife away if you married someone who worshipped false gods. And this is what they worshipped in Moab, false god. They worshipped a god that used only could be appeased by the sacrifice of children. Chemosh. That's the god that he worshipped. They worship. But these people, these sons, married these pagan women. It's a powerful message here for, for young people today and who you select or choose to marry. What are the traits, the characteristics you look for? Well, I'm a guy. I want that beautiful one. She stands out, man. She looks good, she smells good, she walks right, man. <laughs> but she's ungodly. Ah, well, you know, I come to Calvary all the time, man. I get leaded to Christ. Oh, yeah? The scriptures seem to teach otherwise, that usually people like that are going to lead you away from God rather than you leading them to God. Young people... Watch who you choose to marry. That means you've got to watch who you choose to date. That means you've got to watch who you choose to keep company with of the opposite sex right now. Right now. Because one choice could lead to all the disasters you're going to see in here. But let's move on. They took for themselves Moabite women and wives. The name of one is offered. I know this isn't. Oprah, it's off by, all right? It means rebellious. But actually, the name of Oprah is used in the Bible. Anyway, I won't go on that one. One who's off, and the name of the other, Ruth, friends, friendly. And they lived there, notice what it says, about 10 years. Didn't say 10 years, about. Um, I'm mentioning that because of Bible study. Some people like to say, now for instance, this same thing could be recorded in another book. And rather than saying about 10 years, it would say nine years. And so the critic would come, the Bible isn't inspired. Why? Because over here it says about 10 years, and here it says nine years. And therefore it isn't inspired. Yes, it is. One is simply being more precise, the other is being general. Right? About 10 years. That's a long time for a non-resident. <laughs> now we got some behavior. No, I ain't going to go there. I ain't going to go there. Notice now. Then both Melon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and a husband. Now, Naomi is a widow indeed. She has no one to care for her. She is destitute. Destitute. And she's that way because neither her husband or her sons made preparations for her while they were alive. Now men, Father's Day coming up soon. What kind of leadership are you showing in your home? Husbands and young men, children. Are you making preparations for your mom 
Uh, your wife is a necessary thing for us to do. She is a widow indeed. She's in a position now. Because in that age, that time, women alone, I mean, that was a rough state. You could, that's, that's probably one of the most terrible positions a person could be in. She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. Now we're getting into the real meat of the story as it were to see how God's hand, God's powerful hand, hand of providence is working behind the scenes. She arose. When I read that, and I read this little book over and over and over again during the weeks, and man, there's so much in this stuff. I thought of the prodigal son. Remember that? He came to his senses, and he arose. That's the first sign of conversion. Coming to your senses. Recognizing your true condition. You talk about reality, this is it. The world am I doing in this pagan land? Bethlehem, the house of bread. What in my world am I doing here? Now, a husband had to die, and the sons have to die for her to realize that. Or maybe that's too harsh because maybe she had to do what her husband told her to do. But now she realizes that she doesn't belong here. So she rose. Notice it says, that she might return from the land of Moab. I, I want you to, now, boy, the more you can read scriptures and you hear phrases come up. Notice, notice what it says. She rose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So, we, so she was returning from Moab to go back to Bethlehem. Now put it in spiritual terms. She was turning away from the gods of Moab back to the God of Bethlehem. Spiritually, that's what it's saying. See that in a moment. You remember what Paul said when he wrote to the Thessalonians? How he thanked God that they had turned from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his return. Remember now, they turned from idols to God. A lot of people turn from things but don't turn to God. They turn over a new leaf just to get it dirtied up again. But true conversion is when you turn from your evil, your past, your corruption to God and to wait for his son, Jesus Christ. This is what she's about to do. Where are you? Is there anything now in your life and experience that you need to turn away from? But simply turning away from it is not enough. You have to be sure that you're turning to to God and to Jesus Christ. Man, this is amazing. I was supposed to finish two chapters this morning. Good grief. Notice now. 
she had heard in the land of Moab. And it's amazing to me for her to get this good news in the midst of this terrible place. But isn't that why it's good news? Because she's in such a bad condition. Now, she was in Moab and she had a big house and she had all, to hear that the famine had stopped, that wouldn't make a difference to her. See, that's the gospel, by the way. If you don't realize that you are a sinner and headed for hell, well, no, that's not true. Not only hell. Hell is a halfway house, stopping point to the lake of fire. The second death. If you don't realize that, and you hear the gospel that Jesus died for you, that will make a difference. You have to realize that because of your sin, you separated from God. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and he took the punishment that was due to you and to me upon himself. And now when we trust him, his death, his resurrection, we don't have to go to the lake of fire anymore. That's good news. But it's only good news if you really understand and believe that there's such a place as the lake of fire. And that is a place of torment. If you don't believe that, you could hear about Jesus Christ dying for you all you like and it won't make a difference. You've got to realize the terrible state that you're in spiritually. And you have to cry out as the publican did, not the republican, the publican. Maybe some of the Republicans need but anyway. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you come to that point in your life? Until you do, you will never see how important it is to be in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Because you don't realize you're hungry. You understand what I'm saying? But the Bible is clear, my friends. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You could be going to church. You could be giving. You could be doing all kinds of good works. You could have all. But listen, if you've never realized that you as an individual, because of the fact that you're separated from God, that you as an individual is headed for an eternity, Torment. If you never realize that, you'll never cry out to God for help. But my prayer today is that you might realize that and cry out to Him. Just one more reference, then we'll close. So she departed. But, but let, me, let me back up a minute here, because it's, it's so wonderful. See, Heard in the land of Moab that the Lord. See that word? That's in capitals in your Bible. That's Yahweh. The word Lord as Yahweh is used some 70 or more times in this book. But also the term Elohim, the powerful God. But then there's also El Elyon, the God who supplies. The powerful God who cares. Yahweh, 
the one who is, always has been. Yahweh has visited his people in giving them food. Friends, listen. When you leave here today, in fact, let me back up. When you got up this morning, you had breakfast. Your wife didn't give you that food. Your husband didn't give you that food. Your children didn't give you that food. God gave you that food. When you leave here today and have your lunch, the people at the restaurant, because I know most of you all in cook on Sunday, the people at the restaurant didn't give you that food. God gave you that food. Even if you don't like the way it cooked, God gave you that food. Be thankful for that. Recognize that the source of all that we need comes from God. That's Yahweh. So she departed from the place where she was. Beautiful. We could all come to God the way we are, but he does not want us to stay that way. You understand that? He wants us to come as we are, but he does not want us to stay that way. He wants to change us and to transform us. That's why when I ask people how long you've been saved, you say for 20 years, how do you know it? I walk down the aisles, that's not good enough for me. You've got to show me right now what God is doing in your life, how you have changed to be more like him. That's the proof, the validation to man of your salvation. How you being changed to be like him. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. That's a strange statement. In the midst of a patriarchal society. It didn't say your father's house. It says your mother's house. You're going to see the emphasis that because in this text is the women who are being emphasized. And God's working in and through women. It's Jesus Christ, by the way, who brought this back to people because it's got lost for a while. It was Jesus Christ who brought this truth back about God uses women in so much powerful ways. Go return each of you to a mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. In other words, you say, listen, you've been good wives to my children and you've been a good, you've been good daughters-in-law. I mean, that's rare today, isn't it? Is that right? I shouldn't say that. Sometimes I believe mothers-in-laws get a bad break. Right? But if you want a story of a genuine mother-in-law and relationship with her daughter-in-law is this. In fact, it's that relationship that brought about, listen now, the birth of the Messiah. The relationship, mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. So watch out how you talk about your mama-in-law. They are mothers-in-laws, they're not mothers-outlaws. <laughs> and this story here tells us the result of what a beautiful relationship can be established. Now, i got to stop here. But I want you to hear something before I go because I have it here. Tonight we'll continue. But let me give you something to whet your appetite. Let me move ahead. We're, not, we're coming back to this, but I was hoping I'd be past this by this time. But anyway, remember... Offa decided to go after some pressure. She decided to go back to her gods. It says so. 
in verse 15. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and what? Her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. In other words, go back to your pagan worship. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. Now notice this statement. This is a statement that has been used out of context in the church for years and years. When we get a married couple before us or a couple that we're marrying, we read this between the husband and wife. But this statement is not between a husband and wife. This statement is between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. Notice what it says. I will... Let me figure. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Now notice this. And your God will be my God. Don't leave that out. This statement by Ruth here is a statement of conversion. This is not a statement between a husband and wife. This is a conversion experience. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord Yahweh do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. This is a statement of conversion. She wanted to go to the land of the house of bread, where Yahweh was God, not Kemosh. This is not a love statement between a man and a woman, but this is a love statement between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law having to do with the influence of a woman who was still showing faith in God in spite of the circumstances. This woman, this daughter-in-law, did not want to get away from her. She wanted to stay with her. And I believe it's because of the faith that she had in her God. And so I close now with this. Come, please come this evening. We'll try to finish the three. No, I'll never finish the three chapters. We'll try to finish another verse. But Alan, let's, <laughs> let's go home with this. Listen carefully now to this statement and see it as a statement of conversion. And will you make such a commitment to follow your God?
Father, help us to have that same attitude of commitment toward the triune God. Where you go, we will go. You will always be our God. We will never, never turn back because our eyes will always be fixed on the God who always meets our need, the God who is always there for us. Grant, our Father, that we might always seek to be in the land, the house of bread, because that's where our God is who supplies for us. Is anyone here who has not yet placed faith in Christ? May they be led by your spirit to do so today. Thank you for the assurance from your word that your word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth today. And all of God's people said, Amen.